Welcome to this special Conversations Shelter in Place episode of the Orbital Perspective Podcast. Where we dolly zoom out to a perspective where upcoming megatrends become visible. Every day, it is more and more apparent that we are in the midst of the great transition. Everything is changing rapidly. The fundamentals of business, government, and society are being rewritten almost on a daily basis. We are truly living during a time where the riskiest course of action is to stay the course. The most hazardous path is to take the tried and true. We are also living during a time where it is becoming more and more apparent that the status quo is not working. At least it's not working for everyone. And until the status quo is working for everyone, we will do nothing more than slap temporary band-aids on our problems and our challenges. We are presently dealing with crisis after crisis. But these crises can serve as a wake-up call. They can be our call to action to incorporate the changes necessary to make us all more resilient and better equipped to deal with the future crises that will undoubtedly come our way. The Orbital Perspective is all about transcending the divisive walls that separate us and embracing the awe and wonder of our shared humanity. What all the guests on the Orbital Perspective podcast have in common is they are all able to see things from a slightly different perspective. And when we look at issues from different perspectives, we see things in stereoscopic vision. Multiple perspectives allow us to see the depth of a situation below the two-dimensional us-versus-them surface. The other thing all our guests have in common is they are all proof that you don't have to be in orbit to have the orbital perspective. Now, this is not an interview, and it's also not just a conversation between two friends. It's a conversation amongst all of us. If you're listening live, please post your questions and your comments so that we can bring you into the conversation. And if you're listening to the recorded conversation, still please join in with your comments and questions and be a part of this evolving community. Thank you for being here and being a part of this conversation from the Orbital Perspective. T-minus 17 seconds and counting. 15, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Go for main engine start. Main engine start. 2, one, booster ignition, and liftoff of the Space Shuttle Discovery, returning to the space station, paving the way for future missions beyond. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Conversations Sheltered in Place. And uh, the purpose of these conversations, as we said, as we've said every week, is to help folks navigate this, this current crisis and to get through it, uh, hopefully better, more unified, stronger than ever. And I'm really, really excited uh, about today's episode. Uh, we've got Paul Kirchhoff on today, and uh, he's an amazing individual, and I think uh, will provide a lot of really important, really helpful uh, tips and tools and uh, navigational skills <laughs> as we get through this. So um, before I bring him on, though, I want to uh, let everybody know something about Paul, if you if you don't already. So I'll just uh, cover a little bit of his bio. Uh, Paul is a serial entrepreneur, investor, humanitarian, and global adventurer. He is the founder and CEO of Epix, uh, and that's EPX, a new business social network, and it's based on pursuit of achievement, spirit of adventure, and the power of impact. He's also founder and CEO of Domino One a crowdsourced problem-solving software company that accelerates the protection of nature, human rights, and peace, and transforms governments into active democracies and accelerates innovation for any business. Paul is the founder and CEO of D1 Labs, <laughs> if that wasn't enough, uh, which is a powerful new impact incubator and accelerator. With the onslaught of COVID-19, he started Operation Spiritlift, and you can find that at spiritlift.world to raise money to protect the elderly and the homeless, but also he, he helped co-found and lead America's medical testing industry coalition called Operation Stay Safe, and that's at operationstaysafe.org. 
And they're focused on restarting the American economy by providing comprehensive large-scale testing for American citizens and businesses alike. He was most recently the founder and CEO of SaleAmp, a 10-year-old Austin, Texas-based pay-for-performance digital marketing agency before successfully exiting the business. Paul has directed and sold a film, sold thousands of copies of a corporate thriller novel, and he is currently on the UN's board of directors for Blockchain for Impact and involved in a multinational effort to bring internet connectivity and banking to the poor. So with that, uh, I'm really excited, as I'm sure everybody's excited after hearing that, uh, that bio to, uh, to say hi to Paul. So, hey, Paul, how's it going? Good. Boy, I tell you what, I need to either slow it down. Every time I've never heard somebody read that whole thing. And it makes me think of two things. You know, when you're an entrepreneur, they, they, they always say you're supposed to focus. And I'm not, I don't know whether that's focused or I'm just hitting a lot of things at once. But, you know, sometimes when the heart compels you to go, you got to go, you know. So thank you for sharing all that. You bet. It's great to see you. I hope everything's going well for you. Uh, and that's So far, so good. Yeah. Yeah. So far, so good. It's been an interesting experience. You know, a lot of people that are on the move quite a bit, as you know, you know, one of the companies is a, has a lot of adventure to it. So when that came to a close because of travel restrictions and, and, you know, some of the responsibility, I think to other people, um, people have called me and said, gosh, you know, how's your, how's your business doing? I knew you guys were taking a lot of really cool networking uh, trips. And I, and I said, I've never had so much fun being quiet and staying in one place and, you know, uh, enjoying my homestead for one. So it's, it's, it's going well, but you know, there's a lot of work to do to help, help the world out. So appreciate you asking. So where should we start? We got, a, we got a lot, <laughs> a lot of potential ways to start this conversation. Why don't you tell me about, uh, epics and, and, and specifically, you know, how, how we can maintain a spirit of community, even though we're physically separated. Yeah, well, I mean, I, th I think, you know, before we even talk about the, that company that I started, which I'm happy to share, and thank you for being a, a member of it. You know, what's interesting is that I think people that know your background, which I, I could probably take the same amount of time to introduce you, um, and I have, uh, you know, we have many people that are your peers in there. I mean, there's a, there's other astronauts that are epic spacewalkers and, and uh, space shuttle, uh, have spatial experience, but there's people swimming oceans and accomplished entrepreneurs and everybody. And so, you know, I think that um, when I originally started that, I think it's because there's something powerful about having common, um, you know, birds of a feather flock together and having common like-minded people to do something. But really, one of the most th things I'm most proud about in that community is you have all these super achievers from around the world. But the number one currency in the group is not bragging. It's how can you help other people? And as a matter of fact, that 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 core value of this group, which, by the way, I did not come up with and say, hey, guys, hey, Ron, when you join this, I want you to know you guys showed me it, the number one core value is help first and help often. Yeah. And I think that when I look at the, you know, the community that we, that we built that you're part of, too, um, it's been tremendous to see how many of us are running to the fire rather than sheltering in place only to shelter in place, right? I mean, even the function that you're doing here is helping get the word out on, on things that people can do. And if one person's motivated to help others, it's a home run, you know? And, and so, I, so a lot of us have been very busy bringing our skills and our brain power and our network, you know, to, uh, to deliver um, a better world, especially for people that can't, can't get it themselves or don't know how. Cool. And, and tell, tell folks, I'm in, I'm in Boulder, Colorado right now. just recently moved here. And uh, can you tell everybody where you're at? Well, right now I'm in, I'm in Austin, Texas, where I'm based. But I've been spending um, uh, most of my time in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is beautiful country right next to uh, also a mountain town and next to the Grand Canyon. And one of the interesting things from my own experience with this, um, this uh, with, with the coronavirus is, on one hand, I was traveling internationally quite a bit, and I could tell that the... Uh, that the world was catching cold. I, I actually had a friend that was helping China source materials because they knew that China was going to shut its factories down. They had to do the same thing. They had to shut down in order to have everybody stay at home. And so they called me and they said, hey, Paul, I know you've got a pretty powerful community. Can you help me help China find uh, you know, protective equipment. So I did a little bit and then I kind of went on my way and felt like I was helping a friend. And then all of a sudden the rest of the world catches cold. I'm on the road internationally. And the reason I'm sharing this story is because, you know, not everything is, it has been peachy this whole time, even for me. So what happened is I was gone for 10 days. I came home. I had to tell uh, my son who I usually am not away from that long that I couldn't see him because during the whole 
process. My mom was getting a knee replacement surgery and she's 79 and it was my job with my brother, but my job now to go take care of her. So here comes the virus that nobody can see. I have to say, I can't see my son, which is brutal enough. And then I had to drive across the country to, uh, to take care of her. And, and I was one of those people that was communicating with her outside of a facility because I couldn't go in until she finally got out and right. it turned out well, but it's been, it's been an interesting time in the middle of all the other, you know, enterprises of trying to help, uh, trying to maintain your businesses, but also, you know, help uh, rescue people that need help. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, I don't think, I, I know that this is this present time that we're in is a time like never before. There, I, there's never been a time where the entire world, literally every single person on the wor in the world is undeniably affected um, in one way or the other by what's, what's in, in effect an existential threat. And you can argue that there's lots of existential threats that the entire you know, world and, and, and humanity has been facing, but I don't think it's ever been as undeniable as, as this one is. There, there's, there's, there's no, there's no denying that, uh, you know, everybody's affected. And so, you, you know, that, that has been causing a lot of heartbreaking pain, uh, and tragedy for folks, you know, those, those that are affected in one way or the other, whether they're affected because they're infected or, or somebody they love or, or know is infected, or they're affected because of the, the, what it's doing to them financially and economically and what's doing to their businesses and their, and their life's work and, and everything else. Uh, yeah. And so we, we, the, 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 the old cliche of we're, we're all in this together is, is obviously not just a cliche. It's, it's the reality of the world that we're in. We are literally all in this together. Um, and so can you speak a little bit towards that? What kind of, yeah. how, how can we use this present time of heartache and, and, and challenge uh, as an opportunity to come together more unified? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think that uh, I mean, you bring up a lot of great points. And I think, you know, the 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 obvious downside of what has happened has been the pain and suffering um, of the people who have lost their lives or people that have even been sick and come close to losing their lives. I mean, that is a, a devastating thing, it, you know, to a family and an ecosystem, even if one person is is uh, is lost. And, and I think that, um, you know, it's very easy for uh, folks that are isolated, like include, especially I think, including the, the, uh, elderly that are isolated, no one's talking to them. And yet they have the death dashboard up on CNN 24 hours a day, because that's their only source of, of information. Right. And quite frankly, you know, even after my, uh, my, my mom was recovered from a knee replacement surgery with, you know, where, where I knew that her immune system was focused there. I still went back and spent time with her excessive amounts of time simply because I was worried about the isolation factor. And so I think that on one hand, you know, we're, we're, we're at risk of the physical ailments, but even more importantly, many folks are at risk of the, uh, the mental and emotional um, ailments of being um, isolated. But I think that, you know, when you're a, um, an entrepreneur, especially, and you're built to problem solve and you're built to uh, perpetually sometimes erroneously be optimistic, you know, you can't help but to see like the wonderment in what's going on. And I've talked to several of my most respected friends and um, and I feel the same way. I mean, I just just to paint a picture, you know, where I grew up next to the Grand Canyon, some of the most beautiful uh, natural landscape on the planet. And I'm sitting there every morning. I would get in a SUV and I would sit. I would drive 20 miles outside of town because I found this massive golden grass uh, uh, lake bed that's, of course, not, you know, ancient surrounded by by uh, dormant volcanoes and i'm looking at this fourteen thousand foot peak and you cannot help but to be in wonderment at the mathematical impossibility of the invisible hand of the universe god or whatever that has lightly dusted in with some pain and uh and um and um uh surprise an entire species to get it to stop for a moment right and maybe a little bit while while it recovers while it gives you perspective. And then hopefully if we can find, you know, the way to move forward, which we can talk about in a little bit, it'll allow you to go on in a slightly different perspective. And so I think when you, when you, when you think about that, it's also one of the most amazing times to be alive. And I mean, in business and, and just in life, I mean, my son, by the way, another COVID uh, uh, catastrophe or not is graduation. He's a senior, right? He's not walking across the stage. He's doing this totally different. The fact that you're doing, uh, you're like uh, Jay Leno back in the day with all with all these interesting people um, is, you know, you would have never thought you'd be doing that. We'd have been doing something else along the way. So it's just 
it's remarkable the amount of, of uh, innovation, the amount of positivity, and by the way, back to your original uh, point, the amount of community of people reaching out to help each other is just absolutely phenomenal, you know, and it's not the people that you would normally think are the ones that now normally selflessly give, you know, like you said, never before has, has the person next to you that you would have never said hello to been able to rescue you or harm you. And it just connects us as a species. And I think that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, speaking of community, we've got a lot of people joining and uh, tuning in. So hi to everybody. Hope, hope this, yeah. uh, hope this message uh, finds everybody safe and, and healthy and, and, uh, and happy. And, uh, Send us uh, questions or comments. Uh, we'll we'll see them and uh, we'll we'll talk about it. join the conversation. This is uh, this is uh, this is not an interview. Uh, <laughs> this is a conversation, and everybody who's watching, you're part of this conversation. So jump in here and uh, and uh, let us know. So um, let's talk about let's talk about some of the the COVID nineteen projects that that you're working on. Uh, Operation Stay Safe and yeah. uh, Operation Spirit Lift. Um, how, yeah. Where do where do you see that helping, and specifically, what uh, what is it doing? Well, I think uh, I'll share that in one moment, but I want to give you some some background behind that, um, and and I think this is a message to um, to anybody who has any capability whatsoever, which everybody does. So this is by nature a message to everybody. You know, um, I learned what was possible, especially as as entrepreneurs um, that have communities and have social networks and have resources, uh, what's possible when a fire happens at a macro level and a very significant level. And, and, and I learned this several years ago when two hurricanes came rolling through the BVIs and the U.S. Virgin Islands and eventually Puerto Rico, right? The second one clipped Puerto Rico pretty hard. But long story short is um, there was enormous devastation when the first hurricane that had record winds came through and just reduced everything in the BVIs to sticks. And we have a lot, I have a lot of friends down there and we couldn't get a hold of anybody. So what happened is a group of leaders of other entrepreneur networks, right? That uh, I guess, and maybe in some days you would think were competitive. It didn't matter. We called each other. And long story short is in 48 hours, we organized, self-organized a system and a capability to be the first responders to, to these islands. We flew down um, uh, uh uh, insulin for for uh, folks that would have died without it. We flew down boards in other people's Learjets. I'm not at that level to have a Learjet, nor do I really want one, but we have some friends that have them. So we are putting boards to help reinforce stuff. And I'm sitting in Austin, Texas, making calls of who gets on the plane to be saved before the second one comes in, not knowing anything other than age and uh, and and a name. And it was really an amazing thing. But long story short is we were the responders before any military, before any Red Cross, and we saved lots of lives. So when this thing uh, came about, um, it was very, very easy to understand what's what's uh, possible. And we'll skip the spirit or the spirit lift thing because that was really a, a way to crowdsource uh, and to help the elderly and the poor with some some uh, you know hand sanitizer and things that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to get easily themselves. But the big one was um, just like the the hurricanes. There's another gentleman that uh, many of the folks that are that are tuning in here knows uh, well, a very good friend of mine, John Souza, who's also in Epics. And we had a conversation about seven weeks ago about what is going to get the economy going again. Right. What is going to protect people and get the economy again? And of course, you know, the easy answer was testing. But that but but the question was, how do you do it on a scale that can wrap its arms around Los Angeles? Right. And then Phoenix and then Austin, Texas. Uh, let alone the country. And, and you know, we were watching Abbott Labs and a lot of these very incredible uh, businesses uh, launching their first attempts at helping to solve it. And we just realized that, wow, you know, that's just one piece of what's needed. I mean, what's needed is the labs to process it, that it, we're going to run into bottlenecks. The amount of test kits, was that science even good or not, right? So many things had to come together to really put in place something. And then, of course, what we kind of had a hypothesis of, which has come true, is, you know, you can't just get tested once. Right. You have to test and retest and retest and make sure that if you get if you, you know, there are precautions that you take if you're positive. But then the telehealth, you know, folks have a spot here. So we just, we saw this big problem coming. And by the time we got into an intellectual discussion about it, we realized that the only answer is actually to rally the entire industry, all the players, even ones that compete with each other into one big conglomerate. 
uh, to come put its arms around the nation, right? And I'm just talking about the United States right. right now because which is a big enough challenge, but this can be replicated. And so what we did is much like the day that we decided to do something about the hurricanes that were putting lives at risk, we just decided to do it. I mean, without regard to political, um, you know, I mean, the, the last thing we give a shit about, uh, pardon my French on this thing, is politics. We don't care who's in the White House, who's in the Senate, who's complaining about who. Entrepreneurs don't care. We solve problems. And so we we literally started picking up the phone and educating ourselves and talking to other CEOs. And they all agreed that this is the one time, much like a war, that we would come together and we would put our, our, uh, our uh, collective uh, capacity together. Now, one of the interesting things is we had to come up with how, how do you organize this group, right? I mean, you know, it's these people have businesses. And we came up with this concept called the open business architecture, which is kind of like an amoeba. The amoeba may change shapes, but as it consumes something, it grows in its horsepower and becomes something new. And we just basically said, if you believe that widespread testing for businesses or, or, or the citizens is important and you have, you have some capacity and a business that can help join in here. And when we bring this entire capacity to a city or to a big business like an airline or whatever, um, we'll call you and you execute your business model here. And everybody's been very, very we just have the charter members, but we're up to like 22 or 23 businesses that are leaders in all these spaces. And, and uh, you know, in our conversations with businesses or our conversations with government, you know, everybody has a piece to, 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 to uh, contribute. And we made a decision that much like in the defense world, you have systems integrators that go there and scope the project and then bring the pieces. That's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. And so when and so when we do this for a business or for a city or for a state or, or whatnot, it is inclusive of all types of tests. Right. As long as they're there, they have a certain specificity and accuracy. Um, we don't care whether people want to stick something in their nose, you know, spit or get bl blood drawn. And, and we have the resources to set up entire uh, soccer fields and test a zip code in, in an afternoon. I mean, the scale is what's missing in this world. So that's that's what we've been focused on. And we're right now, you know, bringing this thing to market. And it's pretty cool. That's awesome. And so, so basically what I'm hearing is that this crisis is compelling folks to engage in profound collaboration and uh, true collaboration. And, you know, true collaboration, I think, is is where we where we look at the world not as an arena for self-interested competition, but rather we look at society as a as an organic whole, right? And so collaboration from that point of view, which is the point of view that you're describing, leads to diverse organizations working together systematically toward the benefit of the entire social body. And I think that's what that's right. true collaboration is all about. And Mark uh, Sturdivant uh, asked a question, is it possible to shift to a more collaborative business environment from a competitive one? Do we really need to be number one? Hello from White Mountains, Arizona. <laughs> ah, Arizona. <laughs> yeah, that's well, first of all, it's great. I'm happy to meet another person from Arizona. Um, I mean, I, I you know, I, I guess I'll, I suppose you're asking me to take a stab at the content yeah. that answer. <laughs> we'll both, we'll both do it. But, uh, I mean, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's it's really tricky. I think that you know, perhaps one of the opportunities here is is that the 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 benchmark of what success means can be shifted, because for so long, Wall Street and resources and assets that you control and the things that you have have been the benchmark from when you're a little boy or a little girl that that's what it means to be successful. And um, you know, nobody has really figured out how to make like happiness the ultimate you know, success metric, metric, which is, by the way, in my life is much more powerful than any amount of money or anything. Um, but, you know, I think that, uh, you know, entire ecosystems are built to compete. And, and, and the, the question is, what is, what's the measurement of success that says you're, you're winning? But I do believe that, you know, uh, maybe co-opetition is a, is a half step towards what we're experiencing now. But what, what, but one thing that I do think is interesting, and I, of course I, I am happy to say I'm not old enough to have been around during any uh, major wars uh, as an adult. Um, the reality, though, is that um, this is when there is an enemy that is greater than anybody within a industry. I think we're finding zero friction for the and uh, co competitors to rally to to do good. And um, and and one last thing I'll say back to Mark's uh, comment is. And I said this long before any of this stuff happened, you know, because I do so much stuff and have two businesses, quite frankly, that are that are uh, tech based in in uh, social impact. You know, 
social impact has already was already on its way from like something that you do that's kind of whenever you have extra money to something that is fashionable right like like for example i'm i'm not a single guy but if i was and i went and talked to a girl and and i had a choice to say i just i'm on a board of directors helping to save 18 humpback whales versus i have a ferrari the humpback whales would probably get me the date you know so it was already going from optional to fashionable but i think right now every single business on the planet is having to answer what are you doing to the to the ecosystem around you right what's your supply chain like are you using green energy whatever it may be so it's a perfect uh, opportunity for um, uh, you know for a transformation of business and competition anyway so yeah i mean i i, I couldn't agree more and i think you know the, the argument that i hear about a high, against a higher level of collaboration is that you know competitiveness is written to our DNA. And I, I don't know if that's true or not, but what I do know is that is definitely true is cooperation is written into our DNA. That's why we're here. That's why we're the rulers of the world. Our ability to cooperate on a massive scale is, is how we went and evolved to, to become uh, the major impact on, on the planet for, for good or, or for bad. But I also think that there's a difference between um, competition that leads to better goods and services and destructive competition, uh, competition that leads to you know a, a lack of services and a monopolies and everything else. And so you can only have the good type of competition if you have a level playing field. If mm -hmm. if people aren't uh, allowed to lie, cheat, and steal, and uh, to you know ba if we're not dealing with facts, right? If we're dealing um, with a lot of the things that somehow our society has enabled people to do <laughs> and, mm -hmm. to, and to get richer and richer in doing it, uh, I think is, is a major problem because that's not the type of competition that benefits the overall social body. That's the type of competition that uh, benefits a couple of people. Uh, yeah. And I think that's the type of competition we need to get away from. Uh, and, you know, it is going to be a, a combination, a combination of, the right type of competition and cooperation and profound collaboration. And uh, yes, we have a common enemy now and uh, having flown, having been in combat and, and actually my new book that's coming out talks a lot about the, the unifying effects of the crucible of combat uh, and how that, um, you know, people who are willing to lay their life down for somebody else, uh, you know, very, very strong bonds create uh, in that type of environment. And, uh, every single person on the planet right now is in that type of environment, um, yeah. which has a lot of parallels to spaceflight, right? We, in spaceflight, we are isolated in a hostile environment. And right now, you know, a vast majority of the people on the planet are, are isolated in a, in a hostile environment. It's, it's a hostile environment. If you walk out the door right now and you're not, and you're yeah. not the right spacesuit on. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, what's interesting is, um, you know, for those people that don't know much about my, my background or these endeavors that you mentioned, you know, that's actually the reason one of the reasons why I started uh, that software company, Domino One, which crowdsources problem solving is because three years ago, I had felt like the average person on the planet felt like their vote didn't matter in democracies, like their consumption patterns didn't matter to affecting the planet and for sure that their ideas didn't matter. And it was just the separation of where the money is from where the people that, you know, uh, have a say. And yet. One of the most interesting things uh, back to this has to do with competition is, is if the crowd ever comes together, if they ever know collectively what it is that is good for the group together, I mean, all the power in the world is in the group, right? We, we have the consumer dollars to stop a business. We have the tax dollars to stop a government. We have the votes to stop a politician that's run amok. Um, but but one of the Travis tragedies and maybe not for long is the fact that the crowd is never together to harness its own decision making together. And so we'll, we'll see whether my software or somebody else's is a, is a, a linchpin for that. But the reason I'm saying that as it relates to competition is because there's no anchor. There's no counterbalance to the level of competition between two parties that have the right connections that will go. Uh, you know, harness 100 million sharks and take their fins. What is the counterbalance if if what, to, what, what you said is information is not available to people that their shark fin in your Maybelline makeup, not that Maybelline is uh, is doing that, I'm just saying, or um, or uh, or that the crowd, you know, decides to stop it. Yeah. And I think that I think that one thing that this uh, COVID crisis has has done is it started to wake up the world at the base level 
that, um, you know, no one's going to save this for us. You're seeing the gaps in leadership across the board in every aspect of, of, of government for sure. And, um, and it's an opportunity for the crowd to gather its own senses and control its own destiny, but we're not quite there yet, but it's an opportunity. It's here right now. I mean, each and every one of us is vastly more powerful than we, than we imagine, than we realize. And that, that power and that strength, when we combine it together is, is unstoppable. Um, the issue is goes back to what we were talking about with competition, that destructive competition, that unhealthy competition, because the crowd is so powerful. But if the crowd is being fed false information <laughs> yeah. and, and basically being led astray, uh, then, you know, uh, forces forces that are counter to progress and, and, and to uh, a greater level of equity and, and a greater level of harmony, uh, those forces can can. Um, basically lead lead those those uh, groups astray and uh yeah that's what I, that's an example of what i was talking about when i was talking about uh, destructive competition and how we need to do everything we can to to level that playing field yeah i think it's although i will tell you that i think it's starting to happen and 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 it's starting to happen from the work that you you know you you and the squad at fifth elements doing that i'm doing with domino one and all these other things because I got to tell you, like five years ago, I went and spoke at a um, at an entrepreneur conference in uh, I think it was Oslo. And and out of like 30 young entrepreneurs, 29 of them had at either a business that was focused on impact or a business that its number three positioning thing was on impact. And I just remember that moment going like, wow, this is really cool. Like this is the future of our businesses that are you know putting impact first. But back to what I was going to uh, say about impact is that you know, um, there's a, a little bit of work that I'm doing. And I just wanted to, to tell you that if you look at the amount of investment dollars that ha that are impact centric, it is going up and to the right. The number of, of funds that are impact centric is going up. To the right. And I'm not talking about nonprofits necessarily. I'm talking about for profit businesses that also have a triple bottom line contribution. That stuff is going to the right. And, and another thing I want to share is that there was a recent um, uh, uh, research survey done of like a hundred of the top CEOs and impact was number three on their list. Like what, what does it mean to say this to our, to our uh, supply chain, to our employees, to our customers? So, you know, it, even though I'm sitting here with a pretty hardcore piece of software that can get the crowd together to solve saving rainforests or to save narwhals in the North Norwegian sea or whatever needs to be solved, that's an important piece of software. But the reality is the move is already happening. And and uh, and and the all of these things that are lined up are telling me that consumers and the rest and now even maybe the finance world is starting to want to know the answer to what you're doing to the uh, to the world. And before that, you know, 10 years ago and before nobody cared. Right. No, nobody really thought about it other than people that wanted to donate something to do good. So, yeah, I, I, I've seen that that same trend uh, and it's very it's very encouraging. But it's also there's a, it's also a double edged sword, too, because because it's becoming so fashionable, uh, you know, yeah. just like the environmental movement was so fashionable back, you know, 10 years ago or so. And we had all this greenwashing, right? Now we're having impact washing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. Our big companies are masking what they're actually doing in, in an effort to um, appear to be really uh, creating positive impact. And so, yeah. again, it goes back to information and the availability of information and the availability of real data-driven, evidence-based <laughs> um, yeah. uh, information. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we have a, uh, the, the D1 Labs thing. I know you you interviewed the business partner of mine, which is one of the yeah. pioneers of Earth Day. Alan's just phenomenal. But, you know, we started this impact incubator and accelerator and and the, uh, the, the, the level and the sophistication of the members that we have are really, really amazing. These are pretty accomplished entrepreneurs doing some really cool stuff. But one of them you'll be happy to know is a um, is an information uh, um, uh, rating function with technology on a company's ability to prove that it is contributing to these SDGs. It's the missing piece is is one of the ones that we're helping out. So I'm, I'm excited about that. SDGs, the, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. That, That's right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all, I mean, it's all coming. I think, I feel like the world is rotating in the right direction and, and it's just a, a very, very difficult speed bump to get over to, uh, you know, but it, but it, you know, like I said, they, they always say, you know, the, the, um, the world is dark just before the, the dawn, right. Or right. whatever that saying is. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the dawn. Then. Let's talk about how, 
or at least the economic dawn. What is yeah. it really going to take to get us back on track uh, financially and, and have the financial hardship? Because the, the people who are being hit the hardest are going to be yeah. the poor, especially the poor in developing countries, you know, yeah. that were in bad shape to begin with. And so, you know, we're talking about washing your hands as, as a major uh, mitigation towards the spreading of the virus. But, you know, yeah. uh, uh, millions or billions of people in the world don't have access to things like soap so um, or clean water. So yeah. um, so how do you see us getting getting through this and, and, and uh, coming out the other side? Well, I mean, I personally think that there's there's several aspects to it. You know, um, on one hand, from an economy standpoint, there it, it, to me, it comes down to confidence. Do I have the confidence when I walk out the door, let alone with a family member, which you're you're normally willing to lay down your life for? It's even sometimes more important. You know, are you confident that where you're going and what you're doing is going to be safe? I mean, you know, it, it you know, back to Maslow's, you know, hierarchy of needs. I mean, safety and security is like one of the big ones. Right. So if that's compromised, everything else can wait, you know, and that's exactly what's happening. And I think sometimes, you know, when you look at some of the states, at least here in the U.S., that are opening up early, you know, what you're finding is that um, whether or not people agree that they should open up early, they're doing it because they know the economic hardship could trump even the handful of people that get sick. But what's happening is, you know, citizens themselves are just not going out, right? Why? It's because they don't have the confidence. And 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 even worse, in some cases, you have people that are, are that need a paycheck from an employer. The employer wants them in the office. And yet you're putting your employees in a situation where it's like, do they do they go for the check? Not knowing whether the person's kids that is also one of their compadres at work is going to get them sick. I mean, it's a very difficult situation. So I think it, I, I think there's multiple uh, aspects to what you asked, which we should actually talk separately. One of them is is uh, impoverished nations where the density of of the population is like you can't get six feet apart. Right. Which is a real issue. And the other one is the economy itself. So I think if, I, for me, the economy we will just start here in the United States as an example. I think that, you know, a lot of the pieces are there. The question is whether the scale and comprehensiveness, hence what we're doing with Operation Stay Safe, John and I, is um, is that you have to be able to know and continue to know that the business that you work for is safe when you go there. And then once you know that, the, then consumers need to feel safe that wherever they go, it, and, and it's a big it's a big issue because it's not just a test one time, it's a test and retest and authenticate whether somebody is coming in, which starts to get into privacy issues and all sorts of stuff. It's a very complicated situation, but at the end of the day, it's for sure confidence that you can go out the door and there is no way around it other than testing and retesting, which is an expensive endeavor that somebody has to pick up, whether it's insurance companies or the government or whatever, it's gonna be difficult, I think. But I think if, I, I mean, if you really think about it, maybe even for your, your family's sake up in up in Boulder, you know, the the level of of confidence that you're going to have going to sit in a movie theater and watch a movie goes way up. If you know that that entire business has a testing regimen in addition to all the PPE and spatial stuff um, and that, you know, that people can't even get in there unless they've, they've proven that they're safe. Right. That is the answer to like just get back to quote unquote normal, even though a lot of us don't really want to go back to normal. <laughs> but, but I think I, but I, I got to tell you, like even in Arizona, you know, where I'm from, um, you know, we have the Navajo nation, right, right next to right where I grew up. And many of them are friends of mine that are on the reservation and they've got 27,000 square miles and 300,000 native Americans that are Navajo or Hopi on there. And many of them don't have running water. And so the question is, you know, if you don't take care of these populations that either don't have access to these resources uh, or or are mobile, you know, like in, in homeless for some cases, then you'll never get you'll you're ne you'll never control this thing. So, you know, whatever happens that those populations have to give be given special attention. And yeah, in some cases they have to. I mean, I'm not sure if you've seen the news, but in some cases, some of the uh, the um, Native American uh, nations, not necessarily the Navajos, although they were doing it, too, but even Cherokees and some other ones. I mean, they didn't care about the state orders. They basically set up their own checkpoints to say, guys, like you don't understand. We have people that don't have running water. If you come in here, you know, you're, you're going to uh, uh, sacrifice my entire population, which I, I, I understand and and uh, and uh, honor. So I think that, you know, um, no matter what, it's it's the same thing, I think, around the uh, around the the uh, the board on the 
developed nations. It's, it's comprehensive testing that doesn't go away. It's contact tracing when stuff happens, so you can squash it quick. It's the, it's the processing and distribution of information so that people know exactly what to do when they have been exposed to something and the authorities know what to do to help take precautions where information may not be perfect. And it's a very tricky thing because the, the level of, uh, of, of on the fence of civil liberties right. is definitely going to get tested. But on the other hand, if you don't, you know, um, it's a very tricky thing if you don't do enough. And that's really the conundrum that I think all our people are in. But for the, but for the, for the other nations, you know, where you have billions of people that are in highly dense situations, you know, that's a very, very difficult one to, uh, to contain, but even that has to be contained and given special consideration and investment, I think. Yeah, it's a, it is a tough problem because there's a lot of, a lot of different level levers, right? There's, there's the, you know, the, the privacy lever and, and uh, you know, civil liberties and everything else. And yeah, it's going to be a difficult uh, course to navigate, um, but we got, we have to navigate it successfully or we won't get out the other side of it. Yeah, I think I think one of the questions that people, you know, I never really hear people say or answer is is, um, you know, there there's 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 lots of issues here. You know, back to what you said, I think, you know, man, you know, how hard is it to find the truth of the situation in anything, you know, nowadays? I mean, even our TV stations are polarized with what they want you to hear. And it's all the same information, slightly tweaked. And depending on what you watch, you're going to think something else. It's a very difficult situation for the average uh, consumer, I think. But but um, but I never hear people, you know, say uh, to to whatever degree, just like let's just take this super, super simple for a second. If you had to choose between your privacy or the health of your family, you know, which one is more important to you? Right. Because if you knowing that this thing spreads like it's airborne or whatever, if you don't uh, sacrifice a little bit of privacy, even if it's opt in for the betterment of the community around you, then your health is going to be sacrificed. If you choose health and stay private, I mean, you know, you know whatever, whatever the balance is of those two things is, is a, you don't see people having to make that choice. Right. So, well, some, but yeah. the problem with that, a lot of people see that as a false choice. A lot of uh, a lot of people, and we, and and I don't know if it's a lot of people or it's just people with the loudest yeah. voice. <laughs> the other people you see on the news are don't believe that it's a choice. That that they they want their privacy and they want and yeah. they don't think they don't think there is a threat against their their health or the health of their family. They well, think, and 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 back to your original point about information. That's what makes it difficult because you know in the early days. Uh, you know, when you were starting this and I'm talking to John about getting the industry coalition together, you know, the 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 fatality rate that was being calculated for this um, virus was like, you know, five percent. And 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 those of us that paid attention just barely, by the way, in math, we're sitting there thinking like, yeah, but it's, it's a function of how many people you've tested. You know, I mean, if you test a greater population, that that death rate may go down and all of a sudden it looks like the flu. So eh, what's the big deal? Like, well, hey, we'll get sick and, you know, and just like the flu, some people will perish. I didn't really think that. But the point is that, you know, I could see how people would look at that and say the odds. It's, it's a mathematical, you know, calculation. I don't think that I'm going to get it or I don't think I'm going to get it and it's going to be that bad. So therefore, don't touch my privacy. Right. I'll take the risk. And 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 in and in some countries, like you know, in the United States, I mean, some of those are like hardcore civil, you know, rights, you know, that you have. But but yet we're in a difficult situation because your decision, Ron, affects my family, right? Right. As does the people that don't have any information, like the homeless or the poor. So because of how contagious this particular virus is, right? Which is why which is why it's our responsibility as leaders and as people who can muster resources, whether you have them or not, to protect everybody. Right. Everybody. So the one the one way that I don't have to worry about my civil liberties or anything is to invest and give my time and do whatever is possible to contribute to the protection of all. Right. Because this is one of those things where one escape pod. Right. We're back to, you know, exactly back to eating, eating chimichangas here, you know, for the 95th time you know? <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. COVID-19 has a totally different thing. 19 pounds. <laughs> Anyway, okay. So we, uh, Daniel Yant, I thought Dr. Uh, Sanjay Gupta had it coined spot on. COVID nineteen is a real attack of the zombies. It's a non living pack of DNA and fatty cells. Yeah, could be. I mean, could could be. It kind of it kind of is like that. I mean, you know, I I, I think back to the wonderment of this whole situation is like, 
you know, how, how did nature produce something that is hard to detect, pauses the entire, you know, uh, uh, species and, um, and uh, just long enough for us to get a different perspective. I mean, one, you know, one of the interesting things I had a conversation of was, was the, you know, how long they always say it takes like 21 days or whatever to develop a new habit. I mean, you know, I know there's a lot of discussion about going back to normal or whatever, but the truth is these habits are way past 21 days, right? We're going to be at 63 days here in a little bit. And, and, uh, you know, some of this stuff is not ever going to go back to what it was, but some of it's, some of it's good that it doesn't. I mean, I can't imagine that the population of, uh, Kathmandu, for example, is not sitting there going like, wow, this is really tough. It's tough to be isolated. And, you know, we got a lot of sickness around, but holy cow, like I see the tip of Everest. Yeah. I've never seen in my, you know, 60 years of living here. Right. I mean, right. there's some really amazing things that it's just hard for me. And to some degree, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to, to battle a, a little bit of sadness. I think even when you're a, you know, a humanitarian or whatever words, you philanthropist you want to use, it's tough to battle a little bit of sadness because you're seeing, of course, the, the, uh, the devastation that's happening to families, which we kind of opened with, which is brutal enough, but then you're looking at the world and how nature is reclaiming some spots and thriving. Yeah, yeah. There's species that are coming out of the woodworks that people haven't seen, you know, and, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah. man, you know that the clock is ticking if we don't keep it some of this a, a certain way. So I'm hoping that the, the good stuff that is happening to the world and to our souls and our perspectives and everything will stick a lot longer. But I guess the really harsh way to look at this is that, uh, we're, we're being attacked by the planet's antibodies, that we're the virus on the planet. No we're doubt about it. Damage to, to, our, to our living ecosystem. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, that's, that's, one, that's one way to look at it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's true. I think people, people have, you know, for all the great things we do, we, we cause quite a bit of, uh, of damage um, when unchecked, which is part of the challenge is right. like the, the checks and balances of, of greed and, and acquiring things at the expense of the population and at the expense of nature, even, even, even greater in some cases, it, you know, is, uh, you know, maybe this is that opportunity where balance is restored a little bit because it has to be. Otherwise, you know, we're, we're certainly not headed for a great, I mean, listen, you know, people can argue, I, I'm happy to argue with good friends of mine to say like on everything related from global warming to whatever, but at the end of the day, you know, when you, when you're, you're having species, you know, fall away and, the level of oxygen in the world is going down and habitats are being destroyed. I mean, one of our other projects uh, in, in D1 Labs, the Social Impact Incubator, is, a, is an amazing film called um, The Last Place on Earth. And, and it's in Sumatra. It's a, it's a documentary. And, the, and it's the last place where you have natural habitat of orangutans, tigers, rhinos and elephants in one spot they used to be everywhere together this is it like this is the last place on earth that that will happen and so you know when you see some of that stuff happening you, it's hard to argue that we're not on some path i mean maybe 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 the uh the uh in, the declination of the curve is not as deep as some people think you know doomsday sayers on climate change or whatever but who cares at the end of the day when i see people ripping you know like i said hundreds of millions of shark fins out out with no regard to anything the ecosystem underwater. I mean, th these are things that, you know, they're not unaffected, you know? And right. so um, that's the, that's one of the challenges here. Yeah. Definitely. So that, that, that brings up a, I mean, that brings up a lot of thoughts, at least in me in that, you know, I've, it hit me from day one that this is a wake up call and a, and a call to action, a call to action to not go back to the, to the upside down status quo that we had before. We're, we're in a period of, of, you know, we talk about the Great Depression that might come, but we're in a, right now we're in, a, in the Great Transition, I think. Yeah. And I think we have we have a lot of opportunity. And I and I think you know the the I don't know what the fatality rate is of, of the virus, but I think it's it's relatively low. But could you imagine if it was if it was ninety percent? If it was if we had a virus that was this contagious with a ninety percent uh, fatality rate, or even a fatality rate like like uh, Ebola or or mm -hmm. mirrors or, or something like that, you know, a very very high fatality rate. So what one of the things that this crisis is is compelling us to do is to get our act together <laughs> on infectious disease control, yeah. to put systems in place, and to and to basically 
put the infrastructure in to be able to deal with these things that are undoubtedly going to come down the pike again, and they could be much worse than, than this one. So there is there is a tremendous benefit uh, that that could come from this. Uh, if for nothing else, just uh, our ability as a species to prepare for the next crisis. Yeah, no, I I think that's true, and uh, you know, I mean, I've had this I've had this conversation with people too, which is which is how lucky are we that the uh, that this particular virus it has caused potentially a very low amount of pain on our species, even though it feels like, you know, I, I mean, you could never explain that to somebody who's lost their family member or their friends, which I, which I have lost some friends during this crisis too. But at the end of the day, when you look at it at a species level, it's like, wow, you know, how fortunate are we that we even have the chance to prepare for and to, and to understand where these gaps are, you know, to, to prepare ourselves because it could be way worse. And which, which brings me back to those uh, civil liberty conversations, which is like, you know, well, it's easy to say that when, you know, only a handful of people are being affected next to you. What if 50% of everybody around you and you're, you're, you're putting plastic up on the outside of your house, right? That's a whole nother level of, of uh, pain. You'd probably be willing to do whatever it takes. So it's it's it is a it is a wake up call and a warm up session for uh, what is what is soon to sure to be something worse coming at some point you know man made or not by the way yeah and I I think whenever you're getting into the territory where civil civil liberties and privacy is is being threatened I think the most important tool to navigate that is is truth data yeah, <laughs> it's, it's real evidence based peer reviewed truth data because. If 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 not, then we start leading down a path towards George Orwell's world in 1984 in his in his book 1984, right? Where yeah. who controls the past controls the future, and who controls the present controls the past, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And so that that's that's the scary scenario where we have a forcing function like a virus that that degrades civil liberty that we have to, we don't have a choice. We have to react in a way that, that uh, potentially degrades civil liberties and privacy. Uh, and then you couple that with the post-truth world where the people in power uh, who for the most part are in power because it's, it's an unlevel playing field <laughs> and the deck and the car and the, 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 the deck is stacked and have, a, have risen to power control the the narrative that people are 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 hearing and that that's that's a scary scenario and unfortunately that's the scenario that we're currently in um that's proven that's proven out and so i think one of the things that hopefully this crisis will lead us to is uh, a greater embracement of uh real data science scientific data the scientific process uh evidence-based uh, uh um policies and, and procedures and things like yeah. that. <clears throat> yeah, I was going to say, um, I saw a, a quick comment that uh, Daniel put in here, you know, about martial law and short short-term truncation of rights. I mean, you know, the tricky thing back to really the, the damage that, you know, unabated greed can do to the environment and to, and to civil liberties and everything else <clears throat> is, um, is I think that's one thing that's missing. It's, it's, it's like the will, the will of the people, if you really think about it. Right. Because in many cases, it's somebody that is making the decision on your welfare or my welfare. And again, that's what leaders should do. <clears throat> but because of these other aspects of leadership that are, you know, sometimes separated from the will of the people, those things are not always, um, you know, done in the in the right fashion. And that puts what's best for the people. And that's what's tricky, because like I personally, you know, believe in um, the preservation of civil, civil liberties and also, uh, you know, the rights that you should have as a human on everything. But I also have this like little but uh, element, which is what happens when when the entire population is at stake, right? And should should you be willing to, tr like, you know, Daniel said, truncate some of this in order to protect the entire population, which includes you and your loved ones too? And I think the answer is yes, but... The question is, is it the crowd and the community that's making that decision together is a very different thing than somebody putting an order in for martial law and surrounding your your family uh, and violating that for you. And I think that's that's that careful line that, you know, is it's a real conundrum for um, for the world. You know? Again, the, the crowd can. And I, I believe in the inherent uh, uh, 
goodness <laughs> and the inherent uh, wisdom of of individual people. Uh, and I think collectively we're, we have a lot of wisdom. Where we run into problems is when that cr same crowd is misinformed and fed the wrong informa information that's not not true, that's false. That's that's where that's where that that whole idea falls apart. That's where the how the, the stack of cards comes tumbling down, and that's what we need to get our hands around, and we need to we need to rectify is how easy it is for people um, to put out false information and, and lead people astray. Yeah, um, true, true. I, I do, but I would say this. I mean, you know, one of the other very positive, you know, elements here that it, that has been a a surprise in a positive way has been look at what the general population has done. Right. And I'm talking about in places where either, you know, like the uh, the, the restoration of, of civil liberties. Right. To go out and do things. And, and people have made their own decisions somewhat collectively, but even individually as a collection to pace their own reentry into yeah. the world. Yeah. And that is actually I mean, that that has been a, a very pleasant surprise because, you know, that means that people are making their own judgments because like I said, depending on where you get your news or information, I mean, whether it's from one channel or the other, or even from Facebook, you know, you have to, at the end of the day, I think the large majority of people, at least here in the States understand that like it's coming from a, a, a an opinionated source at all times. Right. And you have to make your own decision of what you feel comfortable with, which gets back to this operation stay safe thing. If you want to remove all of that off the table, right, regardless of whether somebody thinks that there's a, a risk or not, just take care of everybody and keep everybody safe and keep everybody authenticated, right, in, in a non-violating personal liberty way. And and then nobody has anything to worry about it. But that's a very, you know, you got to have the resources we put together to make that happen. Yeah. So it's important. Staysource.org. Stay safe. Stay safe. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we're, we're coming to the close. So Paul, is there, is there any advice or tips that you can give folks to help them navigate this? Is there any, any uh, insight that you can, that you can share with how you think the post COVID-19 world is going to look and how we're going to get there? Well, I mean, it's tough to undo some of the, you know, some of the uh, inefficiencies that we, that we've had for many years, but I, but I really hold out enormous hope for the positive things that are happening. I mean, you know, to some degree, uh, you know, you see, you, you've had people their whole lives that when they walk out the door, they're sitting on a couch next to somebody they love, their their faces in their phone 24 hours a day, right? And and through this isolation, they've had to reach out to other people with things like, you know, uh, teleconference calls or whatever, or, or whatever, I mean, video calls or whatever. So I feel like um, there's some great things that are happening that are actually bringing us closer together rather than keeping us isolated. It's kind of weird how through isolation, we're actually closer together. You know, you would never really think that, yeah. but I think I'll, I'll, I think I would leave it at that. And the fact that, you know, social impact and being selfless and proving in your business that you are doing something positive for the world is here to stay. And it's, it's getting an exclamation mark next to it because of where the world was already headed. And this thing just put it right on the map and, and uh, any, any business that, that does not have a statement with proof, you know, coming soon, um, to show what they're doing to keep the world neutral, at least if not positive, is going to have a hard time earning dollars. I think in the yeah. future, and that's a really positive thing for the for the world. Super. Well, thanks, Paul. It's uh, it was it's great seeing you. It's been a, it's been, it's been a while. Uh, we were supposed to be we were supposed to be in Costa Rica a, a month or two ago at the right back in April at the Rainforest Summit that got canceled. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's all right though. It's all right, man. We're here. We're here now. And, uh, you know, want to say a quick thank you to all of our pals and some of my friends that joined us and, and yeah, yeah. great comments in, but I'm happy to do this whenever. And, uh, thanks for having me, man. I, you know, it's, it's funny. I, when I, when I started epics, it was always me, uh, interviewing like Olympians and astronauts and stuff. And so I told my son, I'm like, man, I must've really hit the jackpot. Cause I got an astronaut, in, you know, talking to me now on this. We're having a conversation and I'm really excited. We've got some great con fellow conversers coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, stay tuned for that. I'll, I'll be posting uh, notes about that, about who's going to be on the show, but I'm really excited 
Uh, and this is all about getting us through this stronger, more unified than ever. And we, we are going to get through this. Um, and so, Paul, thank you so much for t taking the time. Thank you for sharing all the, the great information. Thank you for what you're doing uh, to help uh, us all get through this and to, to, to get us back to, to some semblance of, of productivity and, and to get us back uh, to, to hopefully to the point where we could uh, spend, spend time together, together physically. So, yeah, Mr. Man. All right. Well, well. See everybody uh, uh, next week. And thanks, thanks for joining in. Thanks for watching. Thanks for commenting. Thanks for, for thanks for your questions. And uh, in the comments, if you got suggestions for uh, other people to to bring on this, uh, just just let me know, and and we'll we'll reach out to them. So, thanks, and see you next week. Thank you for joining us during this conversation from the orbital perspective. And thank you for being a part of an emerging unity on our planet. We are strongest when we are aligned around the truth of our underlying unity. Together, we are unstoppable and can build a positive, restorative future, a future that we would all want to be a part of. Please subscribe to the Orbital Perspective podcast and follow us on social media. Thank you for all that you're doing and all that you will do to help make life on our planet as beautiful as it looks from space. <laughs>